Uh, hi and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. I am joined by Scottish writer uh, Graham Armstrong. Thanks very much for coming on, Graham. No, my pleasure, mate. Thanks for having us. How have you been getting on? Oh, not bad. Um, just doing the, the usual stuff, mate. Trying to get creative and just nothing happening. Been trying for years that we need time, 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 and now we've got time and nothing's happening. So, don't know. Not so good. It's funny because uh, I suppose now more than ever you've probably get more time, but when there's, you know, all these crazy things happening in the world, it's maybe harder to get yourself motivated in the moment. I think I need pressure, honestly, and I'm starting to realise that. Like if I don't have pressure, I just don't work well. I don't work well, you know. Yeah. Like, sure, you need deadlines to work to, or you, mm-hmm. are you like the type of person that leaves things to the last minute, or? Um, aye, I probably am. Aye, that <laughs> again, that feeds into that needing the pressure, you know. Yeah. And I think I'm recognising that more in myself now. Um, you know, like I worked six days a week before selling cars, so I was like always working. You're in this perpetual state of always working, you know. So I think that's quite productive in a way, Aye. albeit it's very, very tiring. I don't, you can't do it forever, you know. Do you miss it? Aye, mate, I do. Yeah, yeah, aye, aye, aye. It's weird, but like I never thought I would because see, my first job selling cars it was a nightmare, mate. It was an absolute nightmare. It was one of the big Scottish companies that will remain nameless, but you'll know who it is. And uh, it was like a baptism of fire, do you know what I mean? It's a tough, it's a tough environment. It's quite a lot of pressure on you, isn't it? It's like sales, sales, sales. Massive, yeah. massive, massive. Aye. Like, everything you hear is true, whatever you've heard. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just for, for those that are maybe watching this and, uh, you know, wondering uh, who's Graham Armstrong, I, I'll let you tell your own story, but I recently... Uh, picked up your book. I was going into Waterstones in Glasgow just before lockdown kicked off uh, to pick up another book that I'd, I'd done a podcast with uh, the guy previously called uh, Tobias Jones. It was a book about uh, the, the ultra scene at football fans in Italy and mm. your book sitting on the shelf and the young team obviously it's called it, it jumped right out me. It was I looked at the cover and I thought what is that? What, what's going on here? Picked up the back, seen it was based in Airdrie and obviously being from other room myself I thought I'm going to get this. So I had no intention of buying it. And it's the first time that I've heard it. And I picked it up and I was, I'm delighted that I did. It was, you know, certainly one of the best books I've read in years. Oh, thank you, mate. Bless you. Yeah, so um, a bit of it yourself. I so basically, I'm Graham Armstrong. I'm from Airdrie. I'm 28. And um, I, I was involved in gang culture in, in North Lanarkshire growing up. Um, and then I was very, very lucky that it's that old story that someone put a copy of Trains Potting in my hand. Um, and then I started telling people, starting telling teachers, I'm going to study English, you know, which was met with healthy scepticism for a guy like me who had been expelled from school. It was a drug addict that was obviously heavily involved in gangs. Um, but I was very, very lucky that I managed to scrape in. Did five years, did two degrees, did an honours degree and a master's degree. Um, and then at the end of that, I'd started writing my own book, you know, and then and then uh, another seven years on for that a struggle, uh, I managed to do it and get it published. So, and then here we are. That takes us right up to March. And it's, a, it's some story in itself because, I mean, we'll, we'll go into the, the book in more detail later on, but I feel, and I've seen you, you speak previously, that the book's very much a, a reflection on your life in certain ways through the eyes of the main character, Azzy, in it. So, uh, growing up in Airdrie, similar to myself and Motherwell, you know, it's just over over the road there, but it's as if there's, there's lots of barriers in place, you know, for working class kids and for you to come that far. Uh, and, and get your book on there. I can imagine that there was so many barriers and struggles along the way. But what was it like growing up in Airdrie? Happy, happy childhood? Me, I had a really happy childhood. I, like, I didn't come from poverty. Do you know what I mean? Like, my story is quite different for other people. Do you know what I mean? Like, I didn't come from privilege either. Um, but I didn't come from abject poverty. You know, I'm not like one of these kind of option children of the Victorian period. You know that. I, you know, yeah. I, that was no me, mate. Like, my mum worked. 
the only thing that ever really happened to me, like you would call an adverse childhood experience, was losing my father. Sure. You know, he died when I was a kid, and, I, and my mum never remarried. So I grew up, either was the grief of the loss, but you grew up in an empty place, you know. Right. Um, yeah. And that does alienate you, you know, as a, as a young man in the west of Scotland, we're a very football-dominated culture. Oh, right, right. You don't have somebody to, like, teach you in that. You know, I think there is a void. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the only bad thing that happened to me. But, um, you know, my mum always worked up. She had her own home. So, you know, I, on my, on paper, my life maybe didn't look to be the trajectory it was going to take. Um, yeah. and, I, and I put that largely down to my own choices. You know, I made bad choices. But I think I was a wee bit wild, you know, and I, I had that, like, reprogramming from, from losing my father, you know, and, and it's recognised now that that is a risk. You know, I think it's, yeah. it's actually a cliche, you know, I lost his dad, blah, 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 but it, it's valid, you know. And I think, as you touched on, you know, it's growing up in North Lanarkshire, there's, there's not a lot of things to do, but, you know, there's, it's, football plays a massive part in it, you know, we're just outside Glasgow, you've got... And everything I think in Warwickshire when it comes to, you know, growing up, it's, it's a very tribal place, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're just over the road for me and it's like that mother of rivalry when you look at football and then even touching on yourself and your own experiences, that, that gang culture and that rivalry and tribalism there. And it's it's regardless of what age you are or, you know, your background that you come from, I think it's very, very easy to fall into that trap. That is, you know, like Scottish versus English, Rangers versus Celtic. Mother mm-hmm. Airdrie, like we're always at, you know, there's always this partisanism. And exactly. I, I've been thinking a lot about that recently and talking about it a lot, you know, and I think it, it gives you purpose, mate. Like there was a study, and I don't ask me to quote where it was from, right? But they were talking about how um, now the only kind of spectacle, and the mean spectacle is in like basically men marching to war wearing uniform, the only kind of thing that replicates that is going to a football match, you mm-hmm. know? We just don't have that anymore. There's no age of imperialism or conquest. And like when we go to Ibrox or Parkhead or Far Park at the weekend, that gives us that sense of tribalism and we wear bright colours. And do you know what I mean? It's it's quite an ancient thing. It's you know? almost as if it's spread into you, isn't it? It's, it's... I think it's, it's part of masculinity. Do you know what I mean? And like I think, you know, that's it comes back for that age empire where men, you know, were soldiers and all that and blah, blah, blah. And this is the kind of modern conception of it. We don't march to war. Anymore, yeah. we don't need to fight to, you know, not really. And I suppose even without getting too political, and I suppose even if you look at the things that are happening, you know, nowadays in the world, folks seem to be nailing their cars to the mask, be it one side or the other, and, and you know, it seems to be boiling over into the future. Definitely. Mm. Excuse me, just a second. Hey, bother, Phil. Oh, it's my cat. <laughs> 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 Sorry. What well, was I going right. to say? Um, Aye, so like I, uh, I, I try and stay apolitical, and that's with mm-hmm. good reason, right? And I'll tell you why because um, obviously it's very divisive in the west of Scotland, whether and that's based on religious politics and all that. But more sure. than that, right, is it doesn't matter who the current administration is for me. Like I need to petition them and canvass them to try and make changes for young men, you know. So it doesn't matter who you belong to and who you support. Yep. You know, when I look at my own politics, I'm kind of in the middle. I don't really agree with either. You know, I kind of try and keep yep. an open mind. I, I, I was saying, I feel that in the West of Scotland, you know, it's, it goes back to that partisan tribalism as well. And I feel that, unfortunately, politics is kind of going down that route as well. You know, people are, in my opinion, following political parties as if it's like a football team. You know, it's like, I know. I know. you, you can't you see the faults in, in a political party. And I think you need to be able to, as you say, even for your line of work and the things that you're doing to, you know, help young men out there and young women. It's like you need to be able to pick faults in, in everything. You can't just be 
it is, no, I mean, and like oftentimes, right, like I see stuff, right, whatever it is, any of these, you know, so the Conservative hand on a COVID, the trial Alex Hammond, and I've got an opinion on these things, but I keep my opinion to myself, right, because, um, and I've said this before, offers are sometimes best read and no heard, and I think when we look at stuff that's been happening recently, uh, we like J.K. Rowling, you know, when you start airing your opinions, um, it detracts for your work, you know. Without a doubt, and, like, and I, I've, all, I've always seen it's funny you mentioned J.K. Rowling because I've always seen people then going back and picking at our characters for our book and trying to make you know political comparisons with them. I've seen that recently. She encourages that though, you know, like she'll go back in and you know, she'll reveal details of characters that weren't in the book and all that. And I think like it's it just seems a bit indulgent to me, do you know what I mean? Like. You know, I've not. I never made any of my characters have political opinions. Obviously, they just go down the sectarian line. You know, but that's. I don't know. I just find that strange. But I, when you're in my kind of role, and increasingly I'm coming out of a literary sphere and talking about criminology and into talking about politics. You know, and it's. I think shutting up is a great art. You know, and I think when you're in that, when you're representing people, right? I don't represent just just Rangers fans for Airdrie. Do you know what I mean? I represent all a uh, working class experience that, that, that was involved in gang culture, you know? Yeah. So I was very careful to do a balanced, um, do you know what I mean? Well, Have a balanced representation is important to me. About the young team, we'll talk a wee bit more about that in detail in a minute. But as you said, you know, I thought it was interesting, one of the comparisons that you made, you know, it's you talk to the boys in the book, they go to watch the football at the Orange Hall, you know, and, and Rangers win the league, and I thought it was funny because obviously myself being a mother fan, you referenced that helicopter <laughs> Sundays it was, and, and Scott McDonald scoring their goals. But then after that, you know, the boys that have been in the on show watching the football with their Rangers tops on, go down the road, meet their mates with their Celtic tops on. There's a bit of banter back and forth, and then everybody's just out as mates, and it's like there's there's so much more in common with you know working class men than, than just this sectarian divide that often gets painted in the media, you know. The village I lived in, right, is particularly uh, blue, right? Like, there's two parts of Airdrie, and I won't say which, but you'll know which um, <laughs> if you're from here, and I'm one of them, you know, and, and we were very much part of that when we were young, right. you know. Um, but the so there was two pubs, right? There was the Orange Hall, and then there was the one down the village, and all the Celtic contingent, and there wasn't even any of them, by the way, but they would go down there and watch the game, right? And then right. we'd go to the Orange Hall, but we'd meet after it, and it wasn't a big deal. Right, and a couple of times we tried to watch it in mixed company, and then somebody would shout this or somebody would shout that, then they'd end up arguing. So we we just we just kind of had a, a treaty, you know, like you go that way, we'll go this way, we'll meet after the game, and everything's cool. Do you know what I mean? And that, yeah. that was the way we done it. Um, and, and, I, and I think don't get me wrong, there, there obviously is a like, problems with sectarianism deep, deep ingrained in in Scotland, certainly the west of Scotland. But I think a lot of that friendship, you know, and and actual close relationships, be it family and friends, often gets overlooked as well. Mate, it's a lot of shite, on it. It's a lot of shite, do you know what I mean? Like, sure. you don't choose it, do you know what I mean? It's not like some kind of, like, believer's baptism, mate, when we get when we become adults and we go, right, I'm going to make an informed choice about who I follow, right? It's a family <laughs> thing, do you know what I mean? And it's, right. it is to do with religion, but mostly it's to do with politics, right? Because, you know what I mean? People are like, I am Catholic, I'm Protestant, they're like, do you believe in God? No. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't get that, do you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. makes me laugh. Because what do you mean you don't believe in God if you're saying you're Catholic or Protestant? It's just <laughs> politics, mate, do you know what I mean? And it comes with Irish immigration, do you know what I mean, in the 1900s. So whatever you are, whatever your family is, that determines your football team, your religion, your political views. And that, that's what we're actually talking about. It's disputes about politics rather than about religion, do you know what I mean? Religion's just a, a process at other than where we can say they believe in that, they do this, we do that. It's a lot of rubbish, mate. Totally. It is. 
So when, when was when was your first taste into to gang culture then? Because I suppose like you obviously mentioned it in the book again. You know, it was when you were at school and and you start to fall into these uh, these groups of friends that you've got. I suppose, but Mate, I think I, it I was actually looking at yourself. It was probably around about. If I'm talking about what it was like over in, in Motherwell, you're probably talking around about the end of primary school, start of high school. Aye, mate, absolutely. Like, you know, we had started our exposure to alcohol. So we were smoking and drinking before we were in gangs, basically. The gang thing came later. So I would say between probably um, 12 and 13, 11 and 13, that's when you were drinking and smoking. Then 13, we were taking drugs. We'd started high school. And then the gang culture. You know, and I, I've often told the story again where I say, you know, my mate said, have you heard of the young team? And I said, what's that, the football team? And in my wee mind, I was imagining them like, going training and all that in the park, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we were in a, after a fashion, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was laughing and, and I said, I, what's that, a football team? And he went, no, it's a gang. And I, and I was laughing and I was like, a gang? Fucking, I've never seen a gang, I don't know what they are. I've seen them on TV, you know what I mean? My mom yeah. watched West Side Story, do you know what I mean? It's like the Jets and the Sharks, do you know what I mean? And we all going like that. Ah, I didn't yeah. know, mate. I didn't have a clue, you know what I mean? Um, but obviously, give it a year or two, I knew, no, and I was one of the, the main guys on it. But that was, I don't know. Some people were conditioned to be that way, mate. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was amazing. I loved it, you know? And, and I suppose, it, you know, you, you do, as you get, you get caught into these things, and I can see why uh, a young man where, you know, that there's not a lot of things happening in your area, you know, certainly in, in Lanarkshire, you know, there's a lot of youth clubs shutting down, there's no, it gets to a certain point, as you say, is where you, you turn to booze and you turn to drugs, and, you know, there's there's not a lot of opportunity for young kids to feel part of something that's a real draw, isn't it? 100%, mate, like, you know, I remember sitting, right, um, and, I, and I say it in the young team, you know, like, oh, you couldn't go to the pictures now without birds because it was gay, do you know what I mean, and like this and that, and that's the kind of things we used to say, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um and you kind of commit to nothing, mate. Like, you know, you're, if you to say, oh, do you want to do this? And that's a, I put it in the book and I said, do you want to go to the go-karts? We couldn't get a run. There's always a reason why you couldn't do these things, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So then you were just committed to this and that's all alone, do you know what I mean? So all we had was drunk, eh, drink, drugs and gangs. Um, and then obviously violence became part of that as well. And I think for people, you know, listening to this or watching this and, and also maybe reading the book that are, are from you know a bit more affluent areas or are from you know maybe even different countries to, to think that you know there's 12 13 14 year old boys and girls out there turning to drinking drugs that, that must be a terrifying thought i think so mate and like one of the you know when people talk about when they broke their virginity and i know that sounds funny but that like when people reveal that that, that i think that actually ties in with deprivation mate do you know what i mean because mm-hmm these young kids just want to be adults you know what I mean you just forgo your youth and, and that is tragic mate and that's one of the kind of main things I like to talk about in the young team like lost youth how we race to be this adult version or this imagined adult version of ourselves yeah and we lo- what did we lose in the process let's see lose your innocence do you know what I mean you lose the right to be young um and no worry about all this shit because it's it- quite a dark world of course, yeah. it's funny. I, I feel, Graham, I don't know if you're the same, but I feel it almost goes full circle. Like, especially in this lockdown period, you see, you know, loads of loads of guys our age, you know, out running on their bikes again, or you know, actually looking yeah. to adapt to those childhood things that at the time they couldn't get ready quick enough. Mate, I, I totally agree. By the way, honestly, I totally agree. And I, I went through that that phase, um, you know, and I was 
I was used to sell cars mostly, mate. That's what I did for work. But um, I, I worked in climbing stores, so like outdoor stores, because the big one opened in Cope Bridge, right? When it was 16, didn't go outdoor. So I worked in there. <laughs> so I did that. I worked and I became quite good at it, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like I became quite professional. I worked on and off for about 10 years in that. Um, and I was around guys. But that was it, do you know what I mean? And that's what all my mates said, you just like that's exactly it. You're a Bergos expert, do you know what I mean? And I laughed. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I ended up, I was quite an expert, mate, because I worked in it for so many years. Really? Um, but I was around guys that came for privilege, mate, because that's not our normal, like, that's not our kind of scene. You know, yeah. doing mountain sports, like, we wear Bergos jackets to go out and fight and drink in the streets, not to go and climb hills and go climbing. <laughs> so <laughs> I was funny. around privilege, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that was a battle in itself. And that's when, if I'd ever say, when did I feel a class divide, I would say I felt it in there, because everybody's talking about skiing and all that. Well, mate, my skiing career lasted 60 seconds because it went to Bales then with high school and I fell and uh, broke my hands, you know what I mean? Mm. So I never learned to ski and my family didn't ski. So that was like a kind of class thing, you know, and I seen it right away and I made a wee dig about that in the book, you know, and, it, yeah. and it, by the way, it's a great class marker. But... Um, and I, I, I think that I think that's something that's very often overlooked in, you know, in Scottish literature and... And actually, in, in this part of the world in, in general, you know, there, there's often a lot of talk about sectarian divides, racial divides, but there's there's not a lot of stuff talking about class divides. And I think it's very evident, you know, in some schools that you go to as well, or, uh, you know, or if you play with a football team or whatever when you're growing up, you can you can see the difference, you know, for kids that are from working class backgrounds and, and kids that are from middle class backgrounds or even upper class, even in just the way that they talk or the things that they wear or, the, you know, the way that they present themselves. It's true, like, and, and see, sometimes it's useful to think in that way, right, because people often ask me really sweeping questions, like, how do we prevent young men joining gangs? And I go, fucking hell, like, you know, well, <laughs> yeah. start, we need to rewrite Keynesian economics, right, yeah. so that we don't have, you know, people in poverty. The question's massive, mate, do you know what I mean, right? But I laugh and I go, well, see, instead of asking why young, you know, kids for the most poor backgrounds go to jail, why don't we ask why the kids for the privileged ones go to university, right? Mm -hmm. Because that it's not just about money, mate. Money's too simplistic a view. It's about values. It's about all sorts of things. It's about expectation. And I yeah. think a lot of it, we create our own realities, right? You know, if you've ever worked in a graduate job, right, I've done a couple, right? The, the starting wage is 17 grand or 18 grand, right? And these are guys that have been to uni or girls that have been to uni, right? Tradesmen are earning double that, right? Yeah. But it's not just about money, mate. It's about your values. It's about your trajectory, right? And a lot of the ways, you, they condition you. Your community conditions you for them, you know? Yeah. And the more I think about it and the more I dwell on it, I think quality of life is a big part of that, by the way. You know? It's not just about the money. It's about what you do with the money, mm -hmm. you know? It's, it's funny you say that as well, about, you know, going to university. And I, I think that that's often, when we were at school, you know, a lot of the time the teachers you had these jobs fairs or you had people that came in and wanted to talk to you about what you want to be when you're older. And there were certain kids, you know, that it was like, you're going to go to university and you're going to study this. So then they've got that pressure on them that, you know, to be successful or to have made it, you need to go to uni and you need to, you need to study. And for other kids, it was just like, right, you need to get a trade. Mm -hmm. and, and then there was other kids that, you know, they, they didn't even want to speak to them about. But I think that now, again, the, the world's almost gone full circle that, you know, there's so many folk going to university and getting degrees and doing nothing with it that a lot of the time, you know, the, the, the thing that they're saying to folk now is, you know, you need to get a trade. There's a lack of trades people out there. I know, right? And, like, I remember my grand telling me, right, like, 
Ah, you need to get a trade, son. You know, because that <laughs> in her generation, right, with her working life, she's seen the decline of the heavies, right? So yeah. young men growing up, they weren't going into shipbuilding, you know what I mean? They weren't going into mining. So yeah. they had to get a trade or they were getting fuck all, basically. Right. Um, so she gave me that advice, you know what I mean? I was naturally academic, mate, right? And it's funny, right? And people say this to me all the time, like, oh, they speak to me and they go, oh, he's so articulate. Oh, like. <laughs> I feel like I'm a fucking cheek and go, oh, he's so articulate. Why wouldn't I not be articulate? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. just because I've got a working class accent and I come from a town like here, it doesn't mean that like, I'm not clever. Do you know what I mean? I always was clever, mate. And do you know what I mean? Like, um, but that, yeah, that's what you I, mean. know, I recently done. It's, it's funny because this must be across so many different industries. I recently done a podcast with Jean Johansson, who is yep. a TV presenter, and she spoke really enthusiastically about, you know, there needs to be more working class voices in TV and you know it's a very middle class industry and I think that would in your industry more more so probably you know like a boy comes along who's got a working class accent who quite openly talks about being involved with gangs and gang culture and then writes a book and it must be like where did that come from? A hundred percent mate do you know what I mean and like um, you get it for both right so and I always and I, and I won't name them because this was an act of kindness by the way but I always go back to this right and see when I started my master's thing I had come for like the undergrad and they'd invited me because they'd seen the young team. Like, I was I was developing that then, right? And they were like, Oh, you should come back to the masters. So I said, I like in creative writing. So I was like, I'll do that. Um and they had this like, wee cheese and wine soiree, right? Um <laughs> so all the all the lecturers are there and everybody's got their wee Pinot Grigio, you know, and their fucking blue stilton or whatever it was, right? There wasn't and any blue wine, that's for sure. Uh, no. <laughs> so you know what I mean? And like I was I was there, right? And Maybe I looked anxious, mate, right? I, I did get a wee bit nervous things like that. So, right, I was standing, right, and and a guy came up, and he was a, a lecturer, and he went, do you feel comfortable here? And I went, what, amid these great men and women fucking drinking wine and eating cheese? Like, mm. I, I feel all right, do you know what I mean? Like, I've been yeah. here for five years, but mm. I always remember that, and the reason he said that is to me is because he assumed, right, that I felt uncomfortable. Maybe I looked at it, but it was an assumption, do you know what I mean? And it's like yeah. that social assumption, mate. And by the way, that happens, like... I wrote recently for the trade press, a bookseller, about going to this this event, right, and people, like, looking at you. And because you're young, people just know me. Like, I'm young, my hair's no, like, my hair reveals me as some kind of, like, street guy, do you know what I mean? Like, it's all these prejudice and stereotypes, mate. It's it's funny, do you know what I mean? But it is, it's still very much there, you know? Like, people here... Do you break that down? I don't know, mate. I don't know, like... When I think I have come on loads and, you know, like, actually have we, but do you know what I mean? Because whereas the left before, uh, not the left, sorry, like the, um, you know, more privileged kids, should I say then, right? They would be traditionally maybe right wing, right? You know, conservative parents, blah, 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 blah. But lots of them now have morphed into, like, their very aggressive left voices. Mm. No, it's not about left and right anymore, you know, because... Um, you know, I, I just think the, tra- the whole traditional distinctions are very blurred, but in some ways they don't change, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the causes change. You know, yeah. people are, like privileged kids now aren't they shouting about um, campaign for nuclear disarmament? You know, <laughs> they talk about the environment, you know, they talk about trans rights, but it's still this, it's still like a privileged position, you know, yeah. whereas working class voices. Even though they would have occupied the left traditionally, I think they don't occupy that anymore. The whole thing's quite confusing, you know. So totally. I think I think privilege, there's different markers, you know. 
Yeah, and it's also, I mean, I almost think as well, like, there's a bit of rebellion there in, in some aspects of, you know, maybe young working class women or men having right wing views. Is that is that almost like we're going against the grain of what it used to be like and we're, we're rebelling against that? And, and on the other hand, is there people who come from really privileged backgrounds whose parents are, you know, maybe uh, overtly right wing or, you know, they're, they're quite heavily right wing and then they're rebelling against their parents be having left wing views and, you know, it, I, think, I, I think it's weird. It is weird. Like, there's that girl, right, that I can't remember her name, but she's she's like, she's a young, good-looking blonde woman, right? And she's like a big buddy in the Conservative Party. I can't remember her name. Do you know who I mean? I forget her name, right? But see, in England, right, there's a proud middle class. You know, they're yeah. proud to be Conservative voters. Do you know what I mean? They earn like 30 to 40 grand a year, maybe 50 grand, right? You yeah. know, they're not middle class, mate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, Kate Middleton, she's middle class. Aye, she's, class. she's middle class right and see when people say like oh you know you you live in a private estate you go to uni you must be middle class i just laugh but i go Man, that's bullshit right. that's bullshit you know i totally agree with you. i think it's interesting because I, I think there's a lot of people that are very very you know upper end working class who want to think they're middle class you know that it's almost as if the working class are looking down in the the lower half of the working class if that makes sense yeah it it's like it's like bourgeoisie you know what i mean um <laughs> But see, in Scotland, nobody would say, I'm middle class proudly, do you know what I mean? Because you'd be like, shut up, you dick. Like, nobody would say that, do you know what I mean? It would be embarrassing, do you know what I mean? But they, they are, mate. Some of them are, you know? Like, lower middle lower middle class, what does that mean? That's like, the whole class thing, mate, I think it's just a big fucking quagmire that we all get weighed down in. And see, prominent young working class people, especially ones that are poverty experienced, they get obsessed by it, mate. Because it becomes a big stick to beat them with, you know. Oh, you know, this poverty man of the people, he's went to university now, he writes a column now, you know, you must be middle class. And then they're like, I'm no, but, you know what I mean? Because when I go to these cheese and wine soirees, people look at me funny, you know, and I feel at the place. You're not fitting into either stereotype. You don't, mate. I don't fit in anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's the way you feel because, you know, the fact that you've, you're a published author, Right, with some days I lost as Picador. I've got two degrees. You know, if I go and stand in my social club, right, I can talk the talk, but do I walk the walk? Do you know what I mean? Aye. Mate, it's almost, it's almost like, tell me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're going to these cheese and wine nights and folk are thinking, oh, that's just a wee boy for the scheme that's wrote a book. And then you're going back into the, you know, as you say, his local social club, or you're going to the local pub and they're thinking, ah, you've changed, mate. You, you know, write books and you go to these cheese and wine nights. Aye, but nobody would accuse me of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, <laughs> I, and I try and send that, mate, because I don't. I don't morph, I don't adapt myself and see when I'm in front of the camera or not. I don't sanitise myself either. Yep. Um, and that's why I see my Twitter handle, a few people have mentioned that. Like, what does native always mean? And I said, that's what it means. It means, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to modify myself. I don't feel like insecure enough that I need to do that. You know, if I'm invited on BBC, right, I'm not going to swear. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to. I'm not going to go on like that. You know what I mean? I'm going. To, and I, by the way, I've got that, and that's not an act. That's still me. Do you know what I mean? But it's like I'm just changing my register out of respect. You know, if I go and speak to young people, I certainly don't do it because you know when they wheel me out right into high schools and all that, and young people look at me and they go, "Who's this guy?" Do you know what I mean? Wearing specs and all that. Do you know what I mean? Writing books. Know what I mean? And then I go. And I just talk, right? And you see the faces change. And by the way, it was the same in the jail because they're like, they're looking at me for class markers, right? And they're seeing it, right? So they're seeing a book, they're seeing glasses, they're seeing privilege. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, and then I open my mouth and they go, 
he's all right. You know what I mean? He's one of the others. Do you know what I mean? And I remember feeling self-conscious about the way I spoke in university, right? Because I would answer, you know, I'd put my hand up to answer something and, and everybody would go, who's this guy? You know what I mean? He's actually saying words that make sense, but he sounds like a fucking gutter rat or something. <laughs> and I don't think I sound like that, by the way. That's just people's prejudice. Do you know what I mean? You wouldn't think that because you you live in an area where everybody sounds like that, you know. So then when you go to university, it's, it's a culture shock for these other people as much as it is for you as well. I know, and I think you know, like I remember when I I stayed in halls, mate. Right, and my first night at halls, I was sitting in my bedroom and I was like scared to go out, mate, because I was like I don't know what I don't know what to wear. Right, I had literally, mate, just come off the streets, come out wearing a Bergos jacket and a tracky, right, and I'm in uni now. Right, I remember like taking my hoop earrings out and all that, and I'm like, I'm trying to assimilate, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, right, how the fuck did I do this, man? Did I just go out and say hi? And like, they, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was a lot of anxiety, mate, for people like me. Do you know what I mean? And um, and I was like, right, fuck it. So I goes in, um, and I'm and I'm wearing like jeans and a t jeans and a t shirt. Do you know what I mean? Like nondescript clothing. And I was like, oh hi, I'm Graham. You know what I mean? And I met a guy that was just like me who'd been in gangs, and I was like, ah, fuck that. No, I mean, let's get a bottle of wine and just be ourselves. And that's what we were, no, I mean. Well, so that's that, what it should be, isn't it? Why, why should you change to be that? Yeah, it's just anxiety, man. Like, you just, you feel like you need to be somebody else, do you know what I mean? And like, but I do remember feeling awkward, mate, because I just didn't know what to wear, no, I mean, I was looking at guys, and they were like wearing leather jackets, and they were looking like cool guys, you know what I mean? And I was like, I don't know, I don't know what to wear. Like this in your jacket, yeah. Mate, my mum laughed. She's like, ah, "You'll be shopping in River Island next," and I'm, that was like a joke. Do you know what I mean? In our family, like, used to say, "Oh, you're getting trendy. You'll be in River Island," and I was like, ah, "Fucking, I don't know what to buy." Do you know what I mean? It was weird. It was like a transition. Do you know what I mean? Because I had come out of wearing bomb up trackies and Rangers tops, and then I'm like, <laughs> I'm around guys that are wearing like skinny jeans and all that, and yeah. you know, it was weird, mate. And chinos, that, it was chinos. You know what I mean? And body warmers and all that. <laughs> Fucking Gino, I ended up wearing all that shit, do you know what I mean? And it wasn't even because I was trying to be somebody I wasn't, mate. I just like, I was just trying to find myself, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I met this guy, mate, right? Um, and, I, and I worked with him, he was a bike mechanic, he was very talented, this guy, and he was a Slovakian. And he said, See you fucking people in the West, he's like, You'll have to spend your money in the shops, right? <laughs> and I laughed and I go, What do you mean? And he went, That's what you do. He's like, Do you know what I did? I had a beat up little fucking car. I bought cigarettes, I bought juice, and I used to go and sell them at the lake, right? He's like, see whatever money I made, I would stay at the lake, I would swim in the lake. And I was thinking, wow, man, I transcended. I was thinking about this guy living at the lake, and I was thinking, that must have been fucking great. I was like, I've never sat in no fucking lakes, do you know what I mean? I used to sell fags in school right enough, then bob a whip, you know what I mean? <laughs> it was just, it was a dream, you know what I mean? And it was the way our lives pan out. Like, this guy was thinking, he just, the consumerism, we are very like America. Like that. The way his life, his life wasn't based on that. He just needed money. Money was like a, a necessary thing for him to buy what he needed, right? But see if this guy had one pair of jeans, that would do him, right? And I'm not saying we're all like that. We're not going to all live like that. But the message of that story lived on with me, mate. Do you know what I mean? I think, I think maybe the older you get, the more that you become a bit more loyal of thinking like that. But whereas if you adapted that, earlier in life you probably have so much more life experience that you can hark back on when you're older it's true man we aim for this pointless materialism mate like and you know when i worked in shops it was funny right because you would see a guy in a black jacket right and he'd be in looking at an odd black jacket and i would just laugh and i was thinking you've already got one you can't do you know what i mean but mate that's what we do we just repeat we're guilty every single one we're guilty i know and i'm like minimalism and all that my ex-girlfriend just to talk about that minimalism 
you know, I'm, I'm going to stop buying things in stores. And then she'd come in with a Levi's jacket or something. And, my, and then she's like, no, it's quality, but it's going to last a long time. Do you know what I mean? Nice. And she'd come in with the next one. But, mate, we are all guilty. But the more we, you know, it's like the old Buddhist, you know what I say? Your possessions on you, you don't on them. Yeah, totally. And the proof is that you probably already found yourself. I know, mate. Well, I don't know. I think it is a kind of metamorphosis. And it's not like, and, and by the way, like... <clears throat> I'll talk about that in a minute, right? But the way language is reflected in books, right? Increasing narrative sophistication, if we're going to talk about English, right? Quite often times it'll start in really high dialect and then it's like some kind of metamorphosis evolutionary and then it speaks more standard English. And I'm yeah. like, no way. I'm like, because then that's saying as if like what in class is some kind of cocoon state that we need to evolve from, do you know what I mean? That's yeah. not <laughs> that's not the way I feel. You know, and my, I don't want my art to reflect that, I don't want my voice to reflect that. I don't like my clothes to reflect that. Nothing. That's not me, mate. I just, I'm just native always. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's funny that you, you mentioned that there because uh, obviously for those that haven't read the book yet, I said it earlier, you know, you need to get your hands on it, get out there and get it. But what really jumped out for me and I thought it was extremely refreshing, uh, refreshing was it's written in Lanarkshire dialect and I have never, ever, ever seen a book written like this. And for me reading it, it flowed off the tongue. You know, I remember back in the day we were sitting on MSN Messenger and that's the way every single person typed and the way that everybody spoke and you had people, you would probably remember it yourself, signing in and out and the words would come up the side and it would be like, hi, I am or whatever. Do you remember what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that, that was just the way people spoke, you know. It had Y's, Y here and an I there rather than whatever else. And the, the book is very much like that. And... I remember reading a paragraph, I think it was actually the one where you're talking about uh, getting down the Strathclyde Park in the cars, Yeah. Uh, and it's talking about getting down the Strathy, and, and I was I could relate to this so much, I remember Sunday night, I've spoken down the, the park in their cars, I mean I was never really into cruising or into motors to be honest, but I remember loads of my pals doing it, and I sent it to one of my mates that's really into his cars, and I was like, you need to check out this book, you know, you'll absolutely love it, but... I'm sure I've read for yourself before, Graham, that when you're submitting this to publishers at first, it's like, they're thinking, what, what is this? Oh, mate, they were like, lo- I got loads of good feedback, right? See, even getting told, no, mate, that's massive, right? Because the way things, they get about a thousand a week, right? That's the kind of average statistic, right? So you you hit a big slush pile, that's what they call it. So everybody's just sending an all shite, right, to agent. This is not even publishers, this is just trying to get an agent, right? Right. All the shite lands, right, and then you'll have a wee junior ginger, the guy who makes the tea for the guy who makes the coffee, do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Seriously, do you know what I mean? So they're then, they're sitting sifting all this, right? Anything with a wee bit of promise or, like, talent it goes to the next guy, and it goes up like that, right? And eventually it'll reach the person before the agent and they'll pass it on. So the agent will only read the creme de la creme, right? Because, you know, and, and they'll still reject most of that, mate. Like, that's just, that's the business, right? And did you, but, did you have in, in mind, because that's interesting, because I, would, I wouldn't have known that, but did you have in mind, you know, this is certain publishers or this is certain agents that I want to get in touch with at first? <laughs> no, mate. You know, clue. <laughs> did I fuck? <laughs> did I fuck? What was I going to say? Um, mate, it took me five years, right, a constant submission, right, I submitted the young team 300 times, right, not mate, 300 times, right, um, and I remember, I had, so I had started writing this um, early 2013, right, I graduated mid-2013, and the, the uni were like, this is fantastic, you know what I mean, you submit this for your academic uh, dissertation, blah, 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 so I got a first brilliant fucking doing that, 
and then went back to masters, right? So I'd written most of it by masters. So then it was more editing, right? Masters and creative writing didn't teach me how to write, taught me how to edit, you know, and review my work. Um, and then, so I'd done all that. Fantastic. Got a master's degree. Knew that. Fuck all. Know what I mean? Another four years of submission and just getting no, 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 fucking no, right? And I got, I, I'm getting those, I got lots of those for agents. So people, I knew it was on right, ter- it was on the right track. You know, it was causing interest. People are thinking about it. That I was like, how do you how do you keep yourself motivated? Because I mean, you've obviously done it. But there must there'll be so many people out there that you know they get that no, 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 and they're like, do you know what? I'm done with this. This is not for me. Me, I just I just thought this is a war, right? One day, this is like a war, man, right? And it's your war, and every day you need to get up, you need to fight it, right? One day it'll come to an end, right? And I, that was my only mentality, mate. Because sometimes, like even my mom and all that, right? And she was a great believer in me. And she was like, you need a plan B. And by the way, C plan B, the musician, that was how his name came about. You know what I mean? It was like somebody's like, you need a plan B. Was it really? I allegedly, I. Right, right. Like, being a musician, was like plan B. He wanted to be an actor. That was plan A, allegedly. Right. I don't know, mate. But that was, for me, there was no plan B, right? It was young team or bust. You know what I mean? Right. And I put all my time and all my energy and like, mate, I was undergoing a lot of stress because I was working in really stressful jobs. I had a couple of graduate jobs. I was selling cars. I was working six days a week. I was working 70 hours a week. All the hours God gave. And then when I came home, I was straight back working again. Yeah. I was No, mate, I was exhausted. You know what I mean? And like, um, I was in a relationship um, that was challenging as well. Haven't we all? You know what I mean? Sure. But, um, you know, mate, I would just say to anybody that was in that space that was trying to do it, if you truly believe in what you're doing, don't stop. Don't take no as part of yes, mate. You know, it took me 299 no's, right, to get one <laughs> yes. Really? No, and, and mate, people often said, I like the substance of it, I like the feel of it, blah, 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 blah. The narrative arc, right, and that's a fancy way of saying beginning, middle, and end, right, is off, right, because. It was three books originally, mate. I almost three. Aye, mate, it was three yeah. full books. Yeah. 250,000 words, right? That at four pages, people go, that at 400, right? People go, that's a long book. That's only 40% of what the young team was. You're joking. No, mate. So it was no. a big, it was big, right? It was big, it was wordy, it was chunky, right? And it went into everything and, and all and sundry, right? Um, so I'd started cutting that down because I was like, this is fucking Lord of the Rings, eh? fucking Airdrie Neds. That's what it was. <laughs> That's what it was, mate. It was that long, right? Um, it took you seven years to write it, eh? It only took, actually, mate, I wrote the bulk of it, right, between 21 and 23, right? Right. And then it took five years to edit it, right, down for right. this 250,000-word monster to 200,000, right? I got it. So I chopped 50,000. That's, mate, some knob. The Great Gatsby's only about 60,000, <laughs> right? So you're chopping fucking screeds of this stuff off, right? So you're doing that, or are you thinking, oh, there's some really good bits in there that I don't want to chop Kill your darlings, that's the phrase, right? But I know, right, I'm like, right, there's three books. That's not going to work, right? And then I was like, right, let's just glue it all together and just call it one book. Right. Fucking eight hundred pages, mate. I'm no Hilary Mantel. That's not going to work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's a risk. The more That's paper funny. they need to use for that, the more money they cost, right? So they the kind of the rough guide, right, for for first timers is one to five, right? Anything beyond that is like long. So it needs to be really good if it's going to be like that. You double that. I was I, I was double that, mate. I yeah. so I was like, right, fuck. This needs to get cut. So I cut fifty, right? 
then fast forward to 2008, uh, 2018, right? I meet Jonathan, my, my agent at the time. Um, and he says, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I need the immediate commitment to cutting 40,000 words. And I oh, just no. cut 50,000, right? So I was like, fuck it. I phoned in work. I said, I've got a chest infection. I ain't coming in. And I worked four days, 15 hours a day, and I cut 50,000, and he signed me immediately. You're joking. No, mate. He's like, I, I am fucking amazed. He's like, I'm amazed. I just have never seen anybody work like this. And I was like, mate, I'm at the end of my tether. Right? It's and now or never. It's now yeah. or never. Right? I'm eight years in now. I'm six, sorry, seven, six and a half years in, right? Eight, eight. I'm done. I'm cutting. <laughs> I'm malleable now. I'm listening. So that's what I did, mate. I cut it and... And then we worked, we cut another 50,000, by the way, as well, after that. Did, did they ever say anything to you about the, the dialect that it was written in? Was there ever, like, a, you can't, you sh- this needs to go in, in total English, you know? Aye, mate, because when you got to the stage where now we've got the package, we've been endorsed by Janice Galloway, Kerry Hudson, really famous writers, um, and everything's there. But we're now hitting the big five, we're hitting the big publishers, the ones you've heard of, and they're saying, nah, the language is too much. And, uh, and my agent, he obviously knows, he knew how important this was to me right at the time. Um, and he's like, it's up to you. I can't force you to do it and I'm not going to ask you to do it. But you know, if you if you want more chance of getting this published, it needs to either be thin down or it needs to be standard English. Right. And mate, after five and a half, six years, right, you try anything, right? So I, I, wrote, the, I rewrote the first 10,000. Right. So three chapters. I rewrote the first three chapters in standard English. And it was like a Dementor had sucked the fucking soul out of it. That's what it was like, mate. It was horrible. It was horrible, honestly. I'm like, this is not my community. It's not my story. And it's not the story I'm going to tell. Um, and weeks after that, and it was weeks, Picador uh, got in touch to say, we're really interested, come down to London. Um, and mate, the rest history, you know. It's brilliant that, you know, you stuck with your guns because I, I would say that to you and I thought, oh, I hope we would think I'm patronising or insulting, but I don't think it would be the same in broken English. I'm glad that you've echoed that. It was not mate. It, would be, it was embarrassing, do you know what I mean? And I was like, this is like, it just, the, the language and the, and by the way, see, the language and making the language, that's a whole fucking craft, by the way. And, and by the way, a craft, what I mean is fucking bollock. Right, <laughs> and I mean that because sitting down, something right, and see, it's funny you said MSN speak. That just shows your local right. But see, I actually wrote this in MSN speak, mate. So every that was there, eh, right? It was absolute unfiltered MSN, right? Right. And Janice Galloway read this when I was in uni. She read a bit of it, and she's like, "I can't even fucking understand that. <laughs> You're going to, need to rewrite it." And I was like, "Right, I'm going to just like calm it down a wee bit." Right. And, she said, and that, that was the thing when she said, I'm going to tell Irvin Welsh, I'm going to tell you what I told Irvin Welsh when I first seen Trainspotting. You need to calm that fucking down. You need to like have that middle of the road, right? And people say it's really hard. Mate, that is watered down in a way, right? It's not sanitised, but it's just like amended so that people out with our dialect can actually understand it. It was illegible before. What's the what's the feedback been for people outside, you know, Scotland or Lanarkshire? Because it seems to me for the, the outside looking in that the book has been a, a massive success. You know, it's, it's all over Waterstones. It's, you know, I've seen loads of great reviews in The Guardian and whatever else about it. But it, I think there's people picking it up and thinking, I'm understanding this and I'm really, really enjoying it. I mean, I think, like, I think part of the whole emotion thing and writing about gangs, right, is like, 
you feel part of the gang, mate, when you read it. Do you know what I mean? And I think like, yeah. when I watch gang stories or when I watch Godfather, I feel like one of the I feel like one of the dons. You know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> and I think when you've got a language that you need to invest in, and people need to put more into this book. So see, the more you put into anything, mate, the more you get out. Right, yeah. so people like you read it for a few pages and go, oh man, this is hard work. And then a wee bit more and they go, right, all right, I'm starting to get it now, I'm picking it up. And I was the same with training button, by the way. I'm, I'm getting it up and now I'm flowing because I've taught myself this language and now I can, you know, it is funny, mate. Like my mate from London, uh, Gabriel Cruiser, he's he's a, a gang author as well. And right. that's what he said. He's like, mate, after a few pages, it was smooth. You know, and, and this boy's like a proper London G, do you know what I mean? So it was, it was amazing to hear that for him. I was like, God, there's hope, you know what I mean? You didn't him through writing then? I, I mate, he, he'd just done exactly what I'd done, man. He was in gangs, he'd been in jail, he'd come out, he'd, he'd studied English, he'd written his book, um, and then he seen the young team in Waterstones in the garden, and he's like, who the fuck's this guy, you know what I mean? Right. He read the young team. He got his PR to message me and said, this guy's me, we need to connect. And sent me his book. I read it. It was fabulous, mate. And he's going to be a big star, this guy. I'm telling you. What's Amazing. What's that? What's his book called? Uh, Who They Was, mate. Right. I need to Who They Was. It's brilliant. It's out in September. It's coming. Right. Uh, very exciting guy, man. We're going it's to do cool. a bit of work together on gangs, I think. That's amazing. It's good that you mentioned, you know, that there must be folk out there that they have to read 15 pages and then they've kind of adapted that language. I've been a wee bit like that sometimes when I've, I've tried to read previous Edinburgh books, but that's maybe because it's just a wee bit away from where we're from, you know, it's that kind of Edinburgh speak. But with yours, I, I went through that book, it was arguably the quickest I've ever read a book. I just didn't want to put it down. And I suppose for us, it's just natural. I think the short chapters, right, the way I've written that, mate, I just can't write long chapters. I, I can't read long chapters. I get bored, mate. I think I've got... Somebody said to me, you've got ADHD, and I laughed, and I went, shut up, you dick, you know what I mean? And I was like, ah, do you know, I've got a really short attention span, mate, so see these 3,000 words, I think it gets you in, right, and then it takes you where you need to be, and it doesn't, like, drag on. See, if something's 7,000 words, right, it's 8 pages, 9 pages, 10, for... God, man, move on, you know what I mean? And I think... See, when sometimes authors, when they start writing, right, they're so nervous, mate. They're Googling the silliest things, right? Am I allowed to use brand names? Right? How long does a chapter need to be? Right? It doesn't even need to be any, man. It can just be a page. It can whatever the fuck you want. You know what I mean? Whatever feels good, just do it, right? And, like, people, they do that kind of thing, and they worry about it. And I remember when I was starting to write, I used to worry about that. And I'm like, these chapters too short. Are people going to think I can't write long chapters? I don't yeah. want to write long chapters, do you know what I mean? You want by to the way, engaged, don't you? It doesn't matter, though, Honestly, in the digital media, right, and the way we are now, right, people have got short attention spans. So see if they can sit on the tube and read five, four or five pages, right, and it gets them where they need to be, where I am, right, then people read this book a lot quicker. And by the way, it's a longer book than a lot of books out there, but people mm-hmm. read it they read it quicker because they don't feel it drags on, you know? Yeah. What I thought has been brilliant for, for seeing you on Twitter is the amount of people that have got in touch with you and said, I don't read books and I've read this and it's brilliant. Mate, that's like one in the man booker for me. I, I mean that, honestly, it's the truest, the, the highest honour a writer like me could get, right? Because I was that guy, do you know what I mean? I was that kid who had just seen tragedy, seen other like guys dying with heroin addiction, was in gangs, was being told they were hopeless. And then I read Trainspotting and it's like a fucking switch goes on in my mind. And it ignites something in me, mate, and it's like self-worth, right? And it's amazing, by the way, the power of representation. So see when people see themselves in a book or on TV, I used to get excited when I read, like, 
Cumbernauld Asda and Quentin Jordan's book. I'm like, oh, get Cumbernauld Asda, I know who that is. Do you know what I mean? Imagine your whole fucking culture, your whole generation. You know what I mean? And, mate, that, that is powerful. Do you know what I mean? And it, it, I had that experience. And the fact that people feed that back to me now is beautiful, mate. It's beautiful. It's funny, and I suppose what, you've put so much time and effort into this, and since you've wrote it, you know, you mentioned that you've come in six and a half years, almost seven years for it coming out. What's your, what's going through your head when it's getting released? You know, you're thinking, this is ready to print, I've got my first copy back, how are the public going to take this? Are you nervous? Are you panicking? Or? Um, mate, I was tired. I was very, very tired. I was down in London that last year living, mate, so like right. I, was, I was selling cars down there, I was working all the time, I was living a really tough life, and I was working seven days a week. So by the end of it, um, I had I had left the relationship. I was in, I'd come back to Scotland, and then I worked 90 days straight. So see my launch week, mate, when I had all the events, I was knackered. I was dead on my feet. So I, at that stage, it was just like pure relief. It was like pure relief. I'm like, it's done. The war is over. You know what I mean? The young team's in the shops. And yeah. I remember the fort posted, uh, my local, they posted that, Oh, young teams in. So I, I went down to see it, mate. And seeing your own book on a shelf after all the years is amazing, mate. Mm-hmm. It was, I was quite emotional, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then I was like, right, back to work, mate. And back to work, mate. And somebody's like, you've got a very Scottish Presbyterian work ethic and a laugh, right? And I was like, maybe I do. But I was like, more, you just need to keep going, mate. And it's, it's always what's next, you know? Mm-hmm. You can't rest on your laurels in this game. I've heard you touch on it before that you're, you're going to be writing a book uh, in... You obviously mentioned it in, in the young team. You, you spoke about going to Colors Fest and you're obviously into your dance tunes. But your, your next book's going to be surrounded about the, the rave culture. Aye, mate. Rave art. So it's... Um, <laughs> That's a great name, by the way. <laughs> it's a celebration, mate, this one. It, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's wacky. This is a big challenge. After you write a book like the young team, it's based on your own story, right, that people talk about. People always expect you to take a dip. I'm not go- I don't want to do that, mate. I want to write something different. No, I mean, I'm not going to try, like, it's not like young team two, young team harder. You know, it can't be that. There is no more young team. I'm done, you know? Yeah. So it's something different. And I was a massive raver. Like, in the book, right, in the young team, they go to two raves. We went to 22, mate. We, we were mad into that. Yeah. But I don't want it to be about drugs because we know I've explored that and addiction and all that. I've gone down that road. It's not about drugs. And I've, and I've worked out how to avoid that in rave because uh, it's become an unders uh, rave now because what it is right basically a very very quick summary it's the DJ in the time capsule right at the ice skating he gets yeah. sacked and he goes on this quest to get his job back um, and he's he's in Ecuadorian jungles and he's in Ibiza and doing all sorts mate it's like a wacky it's kind of like Indiana Jones meets Kevin and Perry you know what I mean that, that's, <laughs> that's the idea brilliant that sounds amazing Good fun, man. I'm, I'm struggling to write. <laughs> have, you got a, have you got a deadline on it? Or the... No, mate. No, nah, mate. Um, I need to really... My deadline's kind of like September. I need to be finished. I'm half done. Uh, yeah. I just need to get really immersed myself in it. And, um, but I'm excited. It should be a fun project. Loads of music in it, obviously. Um, it sounds like... And, and also, I think the young team could be as well. It sounds like the kind of books would be perfect for a film. There's been healthy interest uh, in talk about that. Um, so I know I know absolutely factual without mentioning any names. There's production companies and directors reading the young team now. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's been one formal offering. There's more imminent um, with quite significant parties. So that's very exciting, mate. You well, know that must be an absolute buzzy. Honestly, mate, like when I started all this, right, I was very frank that this can be the best book in the world, right? But the guys that need to see it are not going to be because they don't read books, yeah. right? 
And that's not to profile anybody, it's just the truth. Like, I've given some of my mates this book that are struggling with substance abuse, right? And like hoping that it would have some positive impact. It's a paperweight, mate, on their, their, their bookshelf because they don't read. Do you know what I mean? Just right. sits. But a film, mate, or a series, the, the way people absorb that. And like, we used to dog school to watch Sweet Sixteen in Kidulthood, right? Yeah. Dream Street. I laughed thinking when all these producers started talking to me, I laughed and I'm like, there's going to be wee guys in the urban Cobra dog and school to go and watch the young team. I mean, I'm like, that's fucking amazing. That's full circle. But do you mean, it's, it's what you touched on earlier. It's, it's that you're seeing yourself on a screen or you're seeing yourself on paper. It's the reason that you're sitting in, in somebody's gaff when you're at a bit of school watching Sweet Sixteen because you can relate to everyone that Comston is doing on, on the telly. Exactly, mate. No, I mean, I spoke to Martin Compton the other week, so I did. Um, I've seen him tweeting about the book, and I thought, oh my mate. God, that's amazing. That's what I said to him. I was like, honestly, see, when I was at my worst, mate, in that crisis moment, that's what I was thinking about Sweet 16. I'm like, this has got to be our story, man. This is going to be something, man. I need to do this and tell this story in some way. Um, so for, for his validation, it was just beautiful, mate. Um, it was beautiful. I'm very grateful. He's a lovely guy. Now, here's one for you. Would you, would you play Azzy in the film, or would you leave it to somebody else? I couldn't, mate. I'm too old. Too old. God, I'm, I'm too old, mate. No, I mean, I'm, I'm 29 next Get month. Mate, the Merapeaks, the Merapeaks, yeah. <laughs> what was I going to say? But um, I'd need, if I was going to be in it, and I would maybe be keen to, right? See, when I was recording the audiobook, the guy was like, You could be an actor. And I went, Who's fucking acting, mate? We're not acting. This is real. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, really? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Would I be one of the older ones? I maybe. Who? I don't know, mate. Would That's I be a Celtic funny. fan? I don't know, mate. <laughs> I'm going to see you in a Celtic top. Oh, I don't know. Can you imagine, man? The fucking Green Brigade would be holding posters up with me fucking in a Celtic top. That'd be me finished, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what are you thinking of it? Do you know, is there a time scale on when that could potentially... The way that works is they do basically like a treatment, they call it, and it's like... It's kind of like a, a brochure, uh, your your film with their vision, so they'll storyboard, they'll put all this in, they'll talk about all sorts. I've seen one, and it's exciting to see that, because it's like someday, it's like their vision on paper for your book. Right. Um, so they're coming, mate, there's going to be more and more of them coming in. There's already one in, right? There's there's at least two more imminent, um, which is That's fucking really amazing. Fucking buzzing, mate, it's amazing. Yeah. And like Stephen Purden... Obviously, Shell Suit Bobo for yeah. our city. Uh, he read the book. He's a big advocate of it. Loved it. Um, I was really grateful for him reading it. And uh, Holly Jack, it's in River City Fairdry. She's like, I'm playing Monica. And I laughed, right? Because even, oh, yes. even she added me, mate. I was like, oh, she's Fairdry. She's in River City, right? I'm like, fuck, she looks like Monica in my head. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? So that's amazing, mate. Like, actors, obviously, when they hear a story, right, the way they think and their vision... They want to see it acted out. They want to be part of it, mate. That's exciting. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I, I love their energy, man. It's, it's amazing. They're different for us. Like we're, we're the people who put things on paper, but our vision doesn't extend to, do you know what I mean? Like bringing it to life. Yeah. Visualise that and they think this is how this is going to be. Yeah. It is, mate. Like, in that, like they've got it. Like, there's a lot of excitement like for these guys and they're like, right, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to do. And I'm like, fuck it. Let's go, man. Whatever. Let's go. That's brilliant. <laughs> Really looking forward to that. And as you say, it will get into so many households that wouldn't pick up a book. You know, it's that's most It's it's not just about the buzz and all that or the prestige. Or, it's about the reach for me. Um, 
I mean, it goes to young guys that are that are struggling, mate, and that need that are out on Friday night making decisions. Do you know what I mean? That, that impact their lives, futures, other people's lives, their families' lives. If if you can impact that positively in any way, mate, then you you should, and it's a blessing, you know. And I'm very grateful for that. And, and you you're a real advocate for that, Graham. You know, you you mentioned it earlier. You've been going in, you've been talking to schools, you've been, I'd imagine, you know, they're talking to different youth groups and whatever else. And is is that something that you want to? you know, do going forward, you know, you want to make a difference to other people. Is that something that you kind of feel like you've got a weight on your shoulders for? Mate, 100%. It doesn't feel like a weight. It just feels like a duty, mate. You know, and like, um, last week I was I was doing a violent introduction talk. I was on a panel, mate, with operational police officers, right? For me, that is a huge thing, right? I was a, I was a wee Ned Fairdry, mate, and regardless of all my achievements, right, to be sitting on a panel, right, with a we are an executive funded panel of reduced violence such as the violence reduction unit it was a huge deal for me mate like my family are very very proud of that do you know what I mean because yeah. you're becoming instead of part of the problem or just painting the problem you're now trying to solve the problem do you know what I mean and that is the natural narrative art for Sunday with me you know I'm going, to, I'm going to end up ruining the book for those that haven't watched it but it's funny that you you say that you're now sitting in a panel you know with operational police officers because there is a a bit in the book where the the kids get brought in, it's like a, a violent reduction almost, police team that come into the school or, you know, that yeah. they come in and they want to look after the boys that are not misbehaving. And it's to think of yourself as a teenager at school, sitting down with the cops to where you are now, like it just wouldn't have happened, you know, it's a it's night and day. Mate, honestly, I remember the, the, the day I found out, right, I could go to university and see then, mate, that was an unattainable dream. Like I had a conditional, one conditional, right, for one course for one university, 85. Everybody else said no chance. One one chance, mate. And I remember sitting and I was like, wow, man, I might actually do this, right? And no fucking best-selling offer, two degrees, sitting on panels. Mate, it's a dream. It's an absolute dream. I'm very proud of that, mate. And, like, it's not because I'm, like, it's nothing to do with ego, mate. It's to do with the fact that I had no ego. I, I had zero expectations in my life at 16 or 15. I was on a road to nowhere. Graham, it's only just start. It's only just the start. I know, mate. I know. And that's it's amazing. Like, it's been a whole journey to get here. Do you know what I mean? But now it's, like, keeping going, you know. Um, and, and on that VRU panel, right, I hear... I was talking about a story, right? And this this girl, um, Louise, messaged me during the week, and she said my brother was in prison. Um, you know, he, he was in prison. I read her book, and I was so, you know, she's like, I was so moved by it. She, she was from her area as well, Annexon. She's like, I'm so moved by it. That I was, I was sure it was going to help my brother. Um, and she said to him, I was talking to him while he was in prison. She said, you need to read The Young Team by Graham Armstrong. It's amazing. It's going to change your life. Um. And she'd messaged me that two days when he got out, um, he took a fatal overdose, mate. He took Street Valium and died, and he never got to read the young team. Um, and mate, that got me right in the fucking heart. Do you know that? Honestly, last week I was I sat for a whole day, mate, on it, and I was sitting and I was thinking, fuck, this isn't about happy endings always, mate. And that's the reality sometimes that people don't always escape this life. I know how lucky I'm, you know. And I, and I said, I want a day son for us, lassie, so. I went down to her, her dorm, mate. She gave me her address. I said, I'm going to send your brother a book. And, and I went down, mate, and I spoke to her at her door. And it's one of the most humbling things I've ever done, mate. And, and he asked me what redemption was in that talk. What does redemption mean to you? And I said, well, that's redemption. It's not a picnic. It's not easy. Do you know what I mean? But for somebody that was like me, who was a nerd, who was a thug, a drug addict, all the labels, to be able to do that, mate, off my own back, to go down and talk to this lassie, that's not easy. That takes great courage, mate. Right? 
fuck, that's what it's about. You know what I mean? It's not easy to go into jail and talk to all those guys. It's terrifying. It's, it's you know, there is these terrible stories out there as well, you know, and as in this situation, it's heartbreaking. The poor guys took an overdose and, and passed away. But if you can just get into one or two people's heads and make a difference to them, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's that, man. Do you know what I mean? And um, who saves the who saves one life saves the world entire, right? That's an old Jewish saying, but I truly believe that, mate. And I think, like, you've never, you don't, young guys especially, right? They don't know their own potential. You can change your life, you can change your community, you can change your country, you can change your world, mate. You just need to believe it. Do you know what I mean? And and ignore the people who say you can't and you won't. You, you'll always get that, mate. People told me you'll not be nothing. At 16, you'll not be nothing. You're a troublemaker, you're a fucking thug and a drug addict and you're a piece of shit. Do you ever feel like going back to these people and saying, look where I am now? I have. <laughs> I have on occasion. <clears throat> and I don't go to gloat, mate. Do you know what I mean? To say, look at me. You know what I mean? I'm Mr. Big Shot. That's not it at all, mate. It's to say, how many other young men have you said that to, right? Yeah. That aren't on the same trajectory as me? That don't have a loving family, mate. That when they, you know, I used to steal from my family, mate. I was a drug addict. I wasn't a very nice person when I was young. Do you know what I mean? But they never gave up on me, mate. They always gave me love. And no, every family's like that. They just yeah. don't have, you know, I was lucky, mate, to come back and always have someone to come back to, no matter how bad it went. And that's, you know, that love multiplies on you when you get it, do you know what I mean? And that's what kept me going. And loads of people, not just family, but they gave me love. And that's why I'm still here, mate, you know. Have you ever went back to your old school? Um, Not yet. I went to one school in Coatbridge, mate. I have been invited to my... My old school, but I went to two schools because I went to Yard Academy, which I was expelled from, and then yeah. I went to Coatbridge High. Right. Um, I've been invited back to Coatbridge High. I'm still waiting for Yard Academy to invite me back, but that's a moment for me, mate. And I would, I, I would say that must be massive. I would, I would love to go back, right? Because the manner, and I will say that to the young guys, I'm like the manner of my departure for this school was being dragged away after I'd seriously assaulted somebody. Do you mm. know what I mean? Um, and it wasn't. It was probably one of my worst moments. Do you know what I mean, mate? Um. But looking back now, to go back, mate, it was, it's like the Rovers return, do you know what I mean? That I can go and impact these young guys and tell their story and say, I'm not like some guy that they just like, you know, ordered off a website. I got fucking chucked out of this school, do you know what I mean? And I'm back, you know. I think that story in itself completely, you know, it's it's relatable, it's hard-hitting, and it's people like you that will make a difference to these kids. They're not going to relate to somebody that's, you know, coming in for a, a privileged background and talking to them about writing books or English and why it's important you know it's if they see somebody from their own community doing that then that's a shining light and as we've touched on so many times they'll be able to see themselves in you mate I, I, I think that I and mean, like I was determined loads of skills have, have booked me pre-Covid they're like right why to come in and do this and do that and I'm keen to do all that right but peop, certain people have made me realise right that we're, we're ace aware mate we know that trauma causes all that stuff we know blah 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 blah, blah right but what are we going to do about it Right, me going in and telling my story, right, it'll inspire maybe two if that be right, but what about the R28, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. because no matter how much you want to change your life or how inspired you are, you need a roadmap, mate, you need infrastructure, right, and that's where places like the VRU and all that, they don't just inspire people and then go, right, on you go, do you know what I mean? Be inspired to yeah. go what? to go back to a broken home, to go back to a broken community. How are these people going to step up and do something about it, do you know what I mean? Like, mate, we need to go further than we're going. Education and knowledge is one part, but then how do we give people toolkits that they actually take, you know, 
And that that is the challenge, mate. This is where we are now. We've told everybody. We've been raising awareness for 10 years, 15 years. People know about it now. What are we going to do? Now we're on phase two. What do we do about it? And that's where people like me need to think, you know. And, and I think it's really interesting because there's, there's so many people out there, especially in, in Lanarkshire. I've seen it with my friend groups as well, you know, as you'll, you'll be well, well aware of, you know, the, the suicide rate, for example, in Lanarkshire males is around about people are ages. It's totally rising, you know, it's it's ridiculous, it's heartbreaking, it's terrifying. But there's so many people that want to do things out there and, you know, they're trying to do things in their local community. But it's it seems a lot of the time that it's temporary. And then before you know it, it's another statistic that comes out and, and that work's almost forgotten about. So there's, there's so much more that people can be doing. But as you say, it needs joined up thinking as well, doesn't it? Mate, we need we need to tell people the truth. We need to tell it often. We need to tell them. We need to give them value in their lives, mate. People say, "How are we going to cure poverty?" I'm sorry to tell you, we're fucking no, because we live in free market capitalism, mate. There's always going to be haves and have nots, right? Don't try and fight drug dealers. Don't try and prevent drugs. Mate, it's like whack-a-mole. You can't do that. We need to get to a place where people are happy in their own lives, right? Where they have aims and goals, and not just career-wise, but personal, right? Back to that very question at the beginning. Why do middle-class kids go to uni, mate? And why do they not go to jail, right? 100%. Because they've got something to live for, right? They've got holidays. You know, see Addison's character in the book? Mate, he's the personification of that, right? And one of the lines that I really like, and it's a forgotten line, right? But he says, that's why Addison, right, would spend his money on clothes and going out to the birds, right? But he'd happily take a line of your gear. Do you know what I mean? Why? <laughs> because he's because he comes from that middle-class space, right? He's not going to commit to ruinous, you know, and that nothing to live. Because that nothing to lose, mate. We need to take that away for young people and say, you have got something to lose. You're precious, you're loved, you've got a life, you've got a trajectory. And listen, no everybody's people sometimes say this, it's fucking cynical. They go, No everybody's gonna to go to uni and write a book. I'm not saying that's a good thing. Why do you think we don't know where Azzy goes at the end? We don't know what he does. It doesn't matter where he goes or what he does, it matters he does something. It doesn't matter what. Our own stories are different for everybody. It's not just me that's got a story, everybody does. Maybe the best you can do is get a job for minimum wage, hold that down, no die violently. Or no die in a drugs overdose, mate. See if that's the best you can do. Do it because it's worth it. Do you know what I mean? We need to give young people hope. We need to teach them that the greyness of our town and county and city and all that, mate. That's just an illusion. The world is beautiful out there. Do you know what? I, I always laugh. This sounds fucking wacky, right? But see, older people, right? They watch nature documentaries. Why, mate? Because they've got to a stage in life where they remember that, you know what, it's a beautiful old world out there. They're fascinated by things. They get this childlike innocence sometimes. I watch my mom watching them. She's like, look at the monkeys. I'm like, what? Ah, the monkeys? But, mate, that's what we, we lose us in middle life, right? It is that you say that because I can picture my mom watching absolute crap like that as well. Maybe, when, maybe it's no crap, you know, maybe like you say. No, mate. It's, it's no because they're getting to the end of their life. You know, they know they're over the hill and they're thinking, this is a, I'm, I'm glad just to have been here, right? But see, when you talk to young guys in our, in our city, London, Liverpool, Manchester, Glasgow, do they think it's a beautiful world out there? No, mate. All they see is trauma. All they see is violence. All they see is a broken town around them, right? We need to lift them up so they can see over the shit. Do you know what I mean? Once you see over the brokenness, mate, of the world, you know, and travel, Middle-class people travel a lot, right? They go to beautiful places. They do beautiful things, mate. That's why they're all fit and healthy 
and they look as if they're cruising while, while people at the bottom are fucking struggling. Mate, they could be on exactly the same wage. It's nothing to do with money. It's to do with attitude. Interesting point that I totally agree with. You know, it's, it's actually seeing what else is out there, you know, and you might have that money to do it, but you'll spend it on other things, like you say, drink drugs, clothes, especially, you know, working class people. It's people that put a lot of effort into the clothes that they're wearing in a lot of times, you know, because that's their way of showing, you know, I'm, I'm coming out of this when really... You're stuck in the rut. Uh, Mate, £300, and by the way, I'm a hypocrite here because i never done this, right? But £300 can buy you an interrail ticket, right, to go right across Europe to see every capital, every fucking free museum, every gondola, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever you are, right? But you'd rather go, and, you'd rather go to fucking Flannel or Cruise and buy a fucking T-shirt for uh, £300, right? That's what we're talking about here, right? And see middle class kids, they take that for granted, mate. Because see if they say, right, I want this or I want that, they just get it. Yeah. Right? Whereas young kids like that, they need to strive, they need to struggle. So they go for the motors, they go for the watches. We're all guilty of that, right? But we need to put value in other things. Travel, right? Sport, all that. Just something to work for, something to strive for. When I found mountain sports, mate, it was something to work for. It was social, right? It was getting me out. It was having adventures, who can say they have an adventure in a, work in, in a normal week? Nope, they, mate. The adventures are the alcohol and drugs. How fucked up can we get? You know? What would, uh, this is a big question, June, but what, what would be your message, you know, for people from that kind of working class background that are, are struggling just now, but they've got in their mind, you know, I, I could really get off this. I could really, there, there's more out there. I would say, honestly, right, mate, I put a poster up and, I, and when I was really fucking struggling and it was one of the inspirational ones and it said, what the mind can conceive, it can achieve, right? Henry Ford said, if you think you can, you can, and if you think you can't, you can't, right? And it's that law of attraction stuff and it sounds wacky, mate, but I would say to them, right, is dream bigger. Whatever you're dreaming, dream bigger, right? Aim for the fucking stars, see if you only hit the sun. Fuck it. Do you know what I mean? It's that imagination, expand. 299 no's to get that one. If you're aiming for it, you'll, you'll get there. Don't take fucking no for an answer. Right? Les Brown. Have you ever heard of him? No. Mate, he's a black man. He's an American man. And he's a motivational speaker, right? And see, when I was on my fucking knees, and I mean that, on my knees, I would listen to this guy and see one of the funniest things he says, right? See if you don't know, learn! And he shouts, right? And he's like, if you don't have, go and get. It doesn't matter what you need to do to do Stop, lie, never lie to yourself. That's what people lie. They say, oh, it's because of this, it's because of the government, it's because of the patriarchy, it's because of class. It's because of you. You decide what you want. No fucking barriers, no obstacles. See if somebody barriers you, go around them. Never stop. And mate, see, telling young people that, they just don't get it about here because they go, I don't even know what I want. I'm just going to get a trade and drink the pub. Mm. No, mate. Do something fucking else. What else is there? Go find it. Can you it sounds, I know, mate. It sounds it sounds too simple, right? But see, when you get into that way of thinking, I think we need to get you in every school in the land. Oh, mate. I don't know. I'm still learning. I'm still learning, mate. I've not got it all worked out. Do you know what I mean? I'm trying to challenge my own negativity. You know, our own negative thinking cycles. I'm stuck here. I'm stuck there. You're not stuck anywhere. Choose where you want to go and go. Love it. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very yeah, much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Yeah, really Thank appreciate you, it. Thanks to everyone that's uh, listened to this episode of the podcast. Uh, we Graham, please, 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 if you've not done so, go get his book, uh, The Young Team. I believe it's available on all good bookshops, probably online as well. 
Uh, and thanks to everybody that's liked and subscribed to this podcast. Cheers. Mm-hmm.